New York City is constantly evolving. Businesses open and close, new buildings go up and old ones come down. But if you look closely enough, in the midst of all of this change, you'll find remnants of the past. Hi, I'm George Bolarki, and this is Cityscape. Coming up, how a Brooklyn-based photographer has found reflections of old New York at flea markets and other venues. Ray Simone will join us to talk about what he's uncovered through retouching and restoring original camera negatives. So you're still collecting? I don't stop. (laughs) My eyes are always looking. Every yard sale, uh, you know, stoop sale, um, you'll find me there rummaging through something. But first, The Writing on the Wall. That's the title of a book that gives us a glimpse into the New York City of yesteryear through advertisements painted across the facades of buildings, some that date back more than 90 years. Ben Pasikoff started noticing and photographing these so-called ghost signs when he joined the photography club in high school. Ben joins me now in the studio. Ben, thanks so much for taking the time. You're welcome. So for those unfamiliar with the term ghost signs, what are they? A ghost sign is an old advertisement that's been painted, but has also faded, unlike old buildings, really anything. It doesn't have to be a building. It could be a bridge. could be anything. In New York City, though, in, the, in my book, in Manhattan, it's almost always a building. Very rarely you'll see maybe a water tower or something like above a doorway, not technically the building, almost like an awning. But it's been it's hand painted from you know hundred years ago. Uh, one of my favorite signs actually is on like uh, was it Sixteenth, maybe Seventeenth and Sixth Avenue, and it's painted in little like inset windows into the brickwork. And it's I mean it, it's the building it was painted on the building, but it's clearly like the building was built with a spot for these little painted signs. And it's like horse and carriage, you know, cabriolets, like. It's very cool. So, so these are mostly advertisements. Yeah. The older they are, the more sort of specific and unique they are because they're most likely advertising for something that's just in that building. And then the more modern they are, uh, even the ones by um, Colossal Media, they do modern day ones, hand-painted stuff for uh, all sorts of, you know, uh, international brands. So uh, there's still hand-painting signs in New York City. They are. Colossal uh, Media is the biggest name I know of. I saw one the other day. I couldn't read it. I didn't have my glasses on, but it looked like it said Orville. And there, uh, they had sort of like grayed out a side of a building, which I assume is sort of the the uh, like the primer coat. And then they would do whatever they want. Either they're going to fix it with vinyl or hand-paint it. Um, the hand-painting has like such like artistry to it. Like the... Um, Gucci does uh, the the Soho Wall. It's like between Prince and Spring on Lafayette. And that's just an advertisement in quotes because it's something that they rent out or, or contract out to a hired uh, artist who then paints like uh, a mural, let's say. And it's not so much an ad, but it's sponsored by Gucci. It has a little Gucci thing in the corner or somewhere in there. Everyone knows it's Gucci. So there are people are still experimenting with these the, the hand-painted uh, signs. But the ghost signs specifically are all the old ones that have faded, gone, and represent old industries, old businesses. Yeah, how varied are the products advertised in these ghost signs? The most common one in Manhattan is around uh, Hell's Kitchen, around the garment district. And you just have all sorts of different... Cloths, clothings, buttons, negligees, furriers, every all sorts of stuff like that that falls under the 
giant umbrella of clothing and, and clothing manufacturing. And then you have other more esoteric and unique companies, things like taxidermy and whiskey. I, I saw a sign for the U.S. Marshals, like which must just be – I mean, it's not an advertisement. It's just sort of like a sign that this was the U.S. Marshals building back in the day. Banks, you have all sorts of uh, really, really – varied and diverse signs um you know the like the one i mentioned earlier cabriolets like cabs and uh horse-drawn carriages and things like that that we don't even think about that as like needing a point of contact for a customer if you need a cab you know where to go but you know same thing with the u.s marshal marshal if you moved here from i don't know ireland and you don't know where to go for certain things there's the general store oh it says like macy's above there you know the old Macy's building on um, between 13th and 14th on 6th Avenue has a bunch of old signs that you can't see because there's on that like peninsular end of the block, there's a giant uh, what is now like a condominium building. And that was originally, uh, well, not originally, but that was the secondary Macy's building. Macy's bought that one out. That used to be the um, department store, and then they moved up to 34th Street. So that building that was there that was built after the original building just behind it doesn't have any painted signs on it. But if you spot if you stand at eleventh and sixth, you can like see the original building, which has like a five guys and like an animal hospital in it now or something. You can still see all these like really cool signs that aren't just vestiges of like the companies or companies past, but companies that may still be around and have just moved around somewhere else. How are you able to determine how old these signs are? It's really difficult sometimes to date these signs. Uh, it becomes harder and harder, especially because a lot of them are either sometimes painted over. Uh, so I have, there's a sign on 6th and uh, 14th, and it's it's right across from the building that we were talking about earlier where Macy's sat, and it's been some sort of like movers, movers and storage unit thing and it's been painted over by an old Vice City, like, GTA video game ad. And that's been painted over white. So you can just barely make out some of these signs. And sometimes it's impossible to date them because you can maybe recognize even the name of the company. But without perhaps a phone number, an address, or anything, you can try Googling it. You can try looking it up at the library. But nothing, nothing is necessarily going to pop out at you sometimes it's just the building they're painted on uh you know a building's a hundred years old like the uh the one i i mentioned at the beginning that has uh it was an advertisement for cabs and horse-drawn carriages and cabriolets which is you know where the word cabs comes from the building itself is set into the earth about three steps it's just got Right now, it's like a coffee shop. It's got one big entrance, you know, that you double doors used to be probably like a uh, like a barn door or something like that. But you can tell based on how and the buildings around it are the same way, set into the earth. And you can tell that those are older, much older buildings, probably 150 to 200 years old because the roads were not paved over. I mean, I actually don't know when they were uh, paved over, but they weren't paved over until uh, huge like infrastructure renewal at like the turn of the century and then through like World War II when that sort of became, uh, well, cobblestone roads became a lesser thing. And people had to put in like electric and steam pipes and all sorts of stuff. So these things are set into the earth about a foot and a half to two feet uh, lower 
than the buildings around them that were built, you know, 60 years ago. Let's talk more about the placement of these signs. You say in the book that many of them were located next to churches, right? Yeah, a lot of the uh, really cool uh, sets of signs were near churches, were near thoroughfares and plazas. So there's one church on like 30, I want to say 36th and Broadway. It's another church between 5th and uh, Madison on 29th Street. And all these churches are, I mean, depending on how old they are, all these churches are like untouchable. You know, no one's no one's tearing down churches to put up enormous uh, condominiums, condominium buildings. But the the buildings around them, people knew were, were prime real estate because people knew, advertisers knew, uh, anyone worth their weight in salt should have known anyway, that, uh, you know, you're guaranteed people seeing these signs at least once a week, right? At least every Sunday, anyone who goes to church, any good Christian going to church, going to see those signs on the wall. So they would have a lot of like really packed and interesting sort of like like an amalgam of signs that became like one big sign. Um, the one on 29th that I was just mentioning was for silks and buttons and cloth. The one on 36th and Broadway was for dresses and uh, cloths and uh, furriers, um, more more of the like ready-made clothes and the one on 29th being more of like the uh, the production and manufacturing side. So, you know, someone wanted to make a come up with specialty hats or ties or negligees, they would buy like, you know, buttons and ribbons and things like that. So those signs maybe were more um, appropriate for the businesses in the neighborhood or more appropriate for the people going there. I don't think, uh, I'm almost positive, in fact, that they were not doing targeted advertisement around churches or around anywhere as uh, focused as they do now where, you know, your your browser history dictates what types of advertisements you see online or I see online. More so it was, well, what would people want in this neighborhood? People knew that the Garment District had everything. And so, you know, 28th Street and 5th Avenue, maybe that was buttons, ribbons, and silks. So they would go there looking for those, see huge wall signs. And from then there on, they could figure out what they what they needed and same thing uh with other advertisements you go downtown uh that's where a lot of the carriage houses were and the meatpacking district had a lot of them um had a lot of use for them uh so you see a lot more uh interesting ads for uh carriages and you know um like general stores where you could buy horse feed and things like that to me that was something that probably took me like a good when I originally did the project in high school, uh, it took me like a year and a half. And it, only after compiling all the all the photographs I had did I actually figure out like, oh, wow, they are, they had like an M.O. when it came to advertising. It wasn't just, it's the biggest building. What's the busiest street? I mean, the busiest streets were important, but they wanted people to see them. And they knew that back then it wasn't so much people driving down the streets as it is now that makes them the busiest streets, but uh, streets people walked down. Do you have a favorite ghost sign? Yeah, I do. Uh, well, one of them is in the beginning of the book, uh, if you have it there. Uh, it's the American Bookbindery uh, Company. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the original photo is at the beginning with the blue. I'm flipping through here. 
It should be at the very yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's right in the introduction. And then and then I have a, a modern day version of that. So the the one there's one copy of it uh, at the beginning that is like it's just this really beautiful blue. And I didn't like it's not it's not a particularly beautiful picture. I mean, I just really like it. Uh, and I think that when I took it, I was really like proud of like the colors and the the lighting and the exposure and everything. It was also interesting because it's like a book sign. Like, I mean, a, a sign for a book bindery company that was rare. So it was a rare type of sign and it was in good quality and it's still around. And so I went back and took a a modern day version of that one and I, I did them back to back. But that one's definitely uh, one of my favorites. Is there a movement at all to preserve these ghost signs in New York City? Well, not really. Uh, I know that. There are probably people who in, like them enough to maybe band together and do something about it, but there's not really anything you can do about it. There's no uh, landmark York's... preservation for these, right? The la- I mean, yeah, the landmark preservation committee doesn't really value these in any way, uh, and why would they? I, I kind of I think they're beautiful. I like taking photographs of as many as I can, but essentially, it would be like you know valuing vinyl bus ads. A uh, hundred years from now, it it doesn't really make sense to attribute any value to a specific building just because uh, you know a, a sign for handmade dresses was painted on it a hundred years ago. So I don't know. I don't think. Uh, I mean, I know that there hasn't been any real movement towards that, but I I don't know if there uh, currently if uh, people with with things like Colossal Media and the other companies that are still trying to you know do, grasp onto the hand painted. Uh, aspect of advertisements, if that might develop into uh, people trying to save these, trying to uh, uh, capture this history uh, in a more permanent way. Ben Pasikoff, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Ben Pasikoff is the author of The Writing on the Wall, Rediscovering New York City's Ghost Signs. It's out now from Skyhorse Publishing. From uncovering New York City's past on the facades of buildings to discovering it in original camera negatives. Enter photographer Ray Simone, who's doing just that. Ray, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. So when did this start for you? When did you start collecting photographs and then camera negatives? I started collecting photographs when I was about 10 years old. Um, uh, an image of the uh, old Howard Roach Studios uh, Little Rascals Our Gang team. I've been into photography for uh, all of my life since then, uh, buying small cameras when I was about uh, 12 to 14, uh, these old Polaroids. And then um, after I was in the military for a while, I bought a professional camera when I was in Japan. And then it just uh, took off from there where I would just I, I would just love to carry a camera with me all day and just uh, photograph, shoot anything that I see that might catch my eye or I think is appealing. What would you say inspired this interest in photography and photographs? Well, I was always into old cinema, believe it or not, uh, silent films, old uh our gang started, the Little Rascals started in the silent era, Chaplin, uh, Harold Lloyd, uh, Fatty Art Buckle, and then getting into uh, the sound of uh, Laurel and Hardy, which they were actually silent too, but then they, they, they merged into um, sound, and then Abner and Costello. So I started collecting at a young age, mostly uh, celebrity, old Hollywood celebrity inspired, inspired images. Where did you grow up, Ray? 
Um, grew up in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and uh, parts of Queens, Little Neck mostly. Now, you weren't buying photographs online back then, so no, where they were didn't you ex- buying no, these no. photographs? No, uh, no. There was a, a neighbor a few doors down, and I'll give him a plug, David Deblinger. His family, were they owned a um, red tag. They would go into homes and, and uh, do, like, estates. And uh, so they had a lot of antiques in their home. And so when I would, we, would, we were neighbors, so I would go into his house, and you would see all these things. Wow, can I buy that? Can I? Oh, yeah, sure. And then that, that bug started at a very, very young age where I just started buying more. And until this day, his kids kept going. So you're still collecting? I don't stop. <laughs> My eyes are always looking every yard sale, uh, you know, a stoop sale. Um, uh, you'll find me there rummaging through something. What have been among your favorite finds? Um, I just showed you an image of uh, a glass plate negative of um, these uh, 10 workers of an estate in uh, England, I'm assuming. It dates back to about 1890, and um, I just love looking at their, their haunted faces that are just looking into the camera. Uh, I, I, I like these lost these lost faces that, that are unknown. People don't know what happened to them, what they did. I kind of wonder what their life became and what their families have become. Yeah, you can really get lost in that, right? Absolutely. stories. Yeah, I'm very much into that. Have you ever taken that a step further and tried to find out more, researched a little bit more? It is quite difficult. I should have done more of that, but um, a lot of the stuff is New York City. A lot of the stuff that I have is New York City related. So um, when I look at a lot of these images, I could pretty much pinpoint where it was, what time period that it was. The one from England, that would, it would be probably nearly impossible for me to uh, come up with uh, with any information. You have great images of trolleys here yes. in New York City. Yes, absolutely. Tell us about those. Um, a gentleman called me up and he said, I have this one image of a Brooklyn Bridge trolley. He found a box in his closet in Long Island, and he'd be, you know, if I was just in buying it, and we, we, uh, I bought the one of the Brooklyn Bridge. It dates back to around 1915. Um, it was in very bad disrepair. It was uh, covered in, uh, the, the glass plate negative was covered in newspaper that I had to use an X-Acto knife very methodically to take off of the emulsion. I loved the image that was there, and I said to him, wow, you, you, you said you found a box of them. So we met again, and it was, uh, there was about 35 of them that he had, and we met in a parking lot. It was almost like doing a drug deal. We, had a, <laughs> we met in a parking lot, and then he opened up his trunk, and I opened up mine, and he put the box, and, I, and here's, the, you know, here's the money. And uh, I took off, and I've been trying to work on them ever since, but they require a lot of, a lot of restoration because they, they've deteriorated. They weren't kept in proper temperature. They, you know, nowadays we have acid-free envelopes that you, know, uh, that you put them in, but you know, they were just wrapped in newspaper, kept in a, in a closet. Thank God it was... The humidity level was low from what I'm assuming because so, they didn't um, really deteriorate. They could have deteriorated worse, put it that way. Yeah, so walk us through the process. What exactly do you do when you have a camera negative? First, I have to clean it. Uh, I'll, I'll clean the, the negative itself. There are a couple of uh, solutions that you can use to clean one side and another solution to clean the uh, the other side. Then I deep scan them to the you know, each they weren't 35 millimeter negatives um, 50, well, yes, 50 years ago, but not 100 years ago. Mostly everything was 5 by 7 4 by 5s And as time got on, when people started using the largers, the negatives got smaller. So I'll clean them, both sides, and then put them, I'll deep scan them as large of a resolution as possible. The larger negatives, some of them are 8 by 10 So when people, years ago, when people wanted an 8 by 10 photograph, they shot with an 8 by 10 negative. Eight inches by ten inches. You know, we'll look, you just just think of the scale. It's compared to thirty-five millimeters, just a small amount. 
Um, so uh, deep scan it. So those large negatives, those 8 by 10 glass plate negatives, you, you'll, the file will be a gig and a half. And then I'll bring that, that um, resolution down to something more workable, to a 300 resolution. And then methodically remove dust, scratches, any, a, lot of, a lot of the glass plate negatives, the emulsion comes off of the glass. So I have to either draw it or get it from another part of the image to, to replace any missing parts. How many hours can that take? Um, well over 40 working hours easily. On for, one negative. On one negative, it, easily forty working hours. I can't sit there for forty hours, so I'm not sitting there for forty. I have to sit for you know fifteen, twenty. Get up and you start getting uh, like tendonitis in your hands because you're working in very, very small scales. So you have to I have to leave the uh, have to leave the computer for a while, so walk around, get some air, come back. But I clock it, and um, it's between forty and fifty hours. Pure love for you. It's also. I don't want to use the word addiction, but uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's a true passion. I have to say. Now, do you not know what you're going to get when you're out there buying these? It's at always a, a market it's, luck it's of the al- draw. It's always a luck of the draw. There was a great time. Um, I like to tell you about is um, New York City. At, at there was a there was a time in New York City where it actually was each part of Manhattan, each part of Brooklyn was actually a community, a town, a small a small town, just like any place else in Middle America where you had one city block that had its butcher shop, it had its bakery, it had, its, it had a, a, a postal box, it had everything that you needed where you didn't, didn't need to go far at all. And um, I used to work out of a studio on 19th Street between 6th and 7th Avenue. At that period of time, from on 6th Avenue, from 14th Street to 34th Street, we're going back to the mid, mid-80s, late-80s, very, very early 90s, there were many empty parking lots because it was a ghost town on weekends nowadays there's just endless stores and shopping but back in back in that period of time it was a dead zone midtown manhattan on weekends so there was a lot of empty parking lots and people would take advantage of that and they would bring all of their goods uh, on weekends and just those parking lots were filled up like a flea market one block after the other, after the other, after the other, just good. You could buy, you could buy anything. You could anything, clothing, housewares, art supplies, anything that you wanted. And then that was that's when I started buying negatives. Is when I coming across one guy with a stand and he had photographs and I'm thumbing through. And then all of a sudden I see a box and there was negatives in it. You know, I always thought about buying photographs, but I never, I never considered collecting negatives. And then I bought my first, and then my second, and third, and then, yeah, and then it just, it, I, I haven't stopped since then. That was about uh, 25 years ago. Besides the images of trolleys, what else do you have in your collection that speaks to New York City's past? Oh, well, on my website, um, which is photogallerynyc.com, I have uh, different sections. One section of New York City scenes, and I have a wonderful scene a wonderful photograph. Unfortunately, I didn't bring a copy of that with me. It dates back to 1913 of uh, 34th Street and 6th Avenue, not too far away from where I was working and looking for um, negatives of uh, that early Victorian dress with a with a police officer on a corner with that big rounded hats on with his white gloves. Yeah, so m- mostly uh, old. I have one, one page is old New York City scenes. Others of Hollywood. I have one dedicated to just old Hollywood. One dedicated to um, vintage glamour, where the women were the elegant look uh, of the women back from the twenties, thirties, and forties. Uh, uh, sports. I have quite a bit of um, 
uh, a lot of sports figures, Muhammad Ali, uh, Babe Ruth. I, I, I got lucky enough to get a couple of glass plate negatives of Babe Ruth, which is actually a good story because I posted it one, one of the photographs online and some woman had noticed it. I don't know how. And she calls me up and she said, wow, there's an image with Babe Ruth. And she's with a gentleman beside him. His name is Earl Combs, a Hall of Famer. Unfortunately, when, you, when you're Babe Ruth, who's going to remember Earl Combs unless you're a <laughs> baseball fan? She says, My, I'm married to his great-grandson, and I don't have any images of him. Would you can – I, can I have a copy of that? And she lived in um, – I, I, it was definitely Georgia. I don't know if it was Atlanta or not. I don't think so. But anyway, so I, had, I sent her a photograph out to um, to Georgia of, of Babe Ruth beside um, Earl Combs, the famous uh, second baseman for the New York Yankees. How great is that? Yeah, that was pretty cool. There's an image on your website. I believe it's in Central Park, a bicyclist hanging yes. out in Central Park. Yeah. A really great image. Yeah, that's uh, dates back to about 1910. That's from a four by five glass plate negative, and it's and I I went back and I photographed the exact same spot. Everything there has remained basically the same. The benches are there, though they're not the original benches from that period of time, but they're in the exact same position. Everything is everything is still there, in the in the same spot. Just the benches have changed a little, slight the design only slightly. Are you buying a lot online now these days? I, I buy online, um, uh, being that I'm in a circle of collectors. A collector who I have a friend of mine, he collects Michelin, which I don't collect anything Michelin. Doesn't excite me, but um, he knows that I collect negatives. So if I find something Michelin related, uh, you know, the, the Michelin man, I'll call him up, and then he'll feel if he finds negatives or something or knows somebody that has one. So there's like, there's a little bit of a network. And then also there are a couple of um, professional uh, auction houses, um, Heritage, uh, one being one out in um, Texas, RR, another one out in um, New Hampshire. They'll send me notices saying, wow, we have this. Are you interested in this? And then you have to do like that telephone bidding and uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, I don't want to spend too much money on it. So a lot of times I, 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 I lose, but occasionally some people overlook things and I'm able to uh, get them for relatively reasonable price do you sell these revived photographs or I would are you like just putting to. them out there on the internet for people <laughs> a, to a absorb? lot of people don't understand them i you know a, a lot of you know nowadays everything is just you know that people walk around with their cell phones uh, i don't even think many people are even walking around with laptops anymore as they used to be i don't know if they think that these images are just something that i i took off the web and yeah i'm just you know, i'm just it, it it it's not that way this is a lot of dedication a lot of hard work diligence uh of me just sitting there for hours just looking at these and, and trying to bring this back to what the photographer wanted or maybe I sometimes I think even I exceeded what the photographer's expectation, the original photographer's expectations are. That said, I'm curious to get your thoughts on what you think about how we take photographs today, how disposal they actually are with cell phones. Um, yeah, being a, you know, being into photography for so many years, you were a tech, besides being a photographer and slash artist, if you want to say, you were also a technician. You know, you had to decide, of course, color or black and white, and then you had to decide what film am I going to use? Am I going to use? Am I going to use fifty, uh, hundred ASA? Am I going to use two hundred four? And then later on, they came out with the eight hundreds and the thousands and upwards and onwards. But and then you had to decide. Okay, so now I, d I decided on color black and white. I decided on what ASA I'm going to be using. Now I'm going to now I'm going to decide. Um, am I going to push this film? Am I going to pull it? Then I'm, then you're going to decide. Now when you bring it to the lab, am I going to pull it? Or am I going to push it? And then when you get into the dark room, how am I going to print it? So not only were you a, a an, an artist, if you want to say, um, but you were also a technician. 
now with digital, it's just shoot, delete. If you don't like it, shoot, delete, redo. You know, so there's, a, there's an element that spontaneity is missing. Well, you could be more spontaneous just taking an image of where, while you're walking with a cell phone camera. But what I mean is um, when you have film into the camera, you have to be more cautious. You know, you have to think before, before you, you know, pull, push the shutter. You actually have to think first, you know. Where's the sun? Because you, there's no redo. If you're doing a wedding with film and, you know, the, the bride and groom are about to kiss, you have to think twice because you, there's no redo. You can't, re, you, you can't go back and say, hey, could you get married again? <laughs> I missed that shot. What do you want visitors to your website to take away? Besides a celebrity, we talked about that early. Besides a celebrity and um, sports figures, I would like to... I, I like these faces of people that that were un, these unknown lost faces of people that where wh who they were where were they you know what did they do what did their children do, and just get a connect with the past have a connection, you know before sometimes before sometimes before you can move forward sometimes you have to look back a little bit because you you learn a lot from the past you know and and our our elders teach us a lot they could teach us so much and sometimes the, our elders are overlooked which they shouldn't be because they. They've been on the path that we're walking. We're not new to the path. We didn't break ground. We didn't, we didn't stomp that grass. That grass was stomped before us. And they know where, where the problems lie, and they could tell you a lot. So I, I like to look back a lot into the past and try to learn from, you know, from generations before us. I also have a page on Instagram that's getting a little bit popular. It's um, NYC uh, Classic Shots. Uh, where I, I post uh, classic shots of New York. I, I try to do one a day. And then, of course, my um, website, uh, photogallerynyc.com. Ray, thank you so much for coming in. It's my pleasure. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to producers Caroline Rotante and Julia Seabode. Thanks so much for listening. 